thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, sis. Uh, I want to thank the band for the music. Um, I spoke uh, Friday night at uh, Jim Hamilton Correctional Center down in Hodgins, Oklahoma. It's a far piece from my house. Uh, they have a praise team there, but the uh, guy who plays the keyboard evidently got moved out, and so <laughs> they only knew two songs, and that was it. But uh, I enjoy preaching at the prisons. Uh, we were at uh, uh, Sayre, which is on the far side of Oklahoma, a few weeks ago, and uh, I told them, I said, if I were looking for a church and this was open, I would apply. I mean, they did an awesome job, and I will tell you that God is alive and well in places you probably are not aware of, and we're grateful for that. Now, I'm sure here in Missouri you're doing basically the same thing we are in Oklahoma, getting ready for an election. Uh, my, uh, my advice is vote early, vote often. Um, I called my uh, election board. Of course, I know who I am since I uh, actually appoint the election board secretary. I called them and said, uh, she thinks I'm a dry preacher and I need this. Uh, back at the primary, and I said, uh, now, will, you, will I be able to come down Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and vote? And she said, you can come down Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but you can only vote once. <laughs> she wanted to make sure I knew that. I don't know anything about the politics in Missouri. But I want to say simply one thing. Vote for morality over economics. Vote for morality over economics. Because if you don't have morality, you're not going to have good economics. You remember, Jesus took morality over economics. He cleansed the temple. He says, guys, we need to get this thing straightened out. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8. You can also find this same passage in another event recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 4. Have you ever had experience one of those times when it seemed like your entire world was caving in? Everything in your life just seemed to be falling apart. If you have, you can identify with the disciples at this point in their walk with Jesus. In verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came on the lake. Or came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters to obey Him. Jesus had had a busy day teaching. It was evening and He was tired. Jesus was thoroughly divine, but He was also completely human. He needed rest. He needed to get away from the crowds. So He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. 
Let's get away from the crowds. Let's find some peace and quiet. Let's just take a nice sail in the moonlight on the lake. So they leave. Now, the Sea of Galilee is in the Jordan Valley. The Jordan Valley looks like, if you're in Palestine, it looks like these mountains. It's like there was a, they just kind of pulled apart and the valley dropped down. The Jordan River runs down that valley. It's below sea level. Up to the north part is the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows into it and flows out of it. And the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and about 6 miles wide. On both sides are mountains. And when the wind comes whipping across the mountains, that cold air from the mountains, meeting the warm air coming from the lake, oftentimes causes a, a quick storm to come up. And that's exactly what happened at this particular time. In fact, the storm was so bad, if you were to translate it literally, Matthew would call it a sea quake instead of an earthquake. And the tempest was so great, it says the boat was being swamped. There was water coming in. It says they were in great danger. The disciples were in despair. Their lives were in danger. The situation looked hopeless. They were going under and the Coast Guard was not available. Now, who were these disciples? Many of them were fishermen. They made their living on that lake. They were experienced sailing the lake. They were used to the boat being on the water. The problem was the water was in the boat. Now, did you notice this problem hit them in the very area of their professional expertise? And they could not handle it. Now, they're thinking, what do we do now? Well, it's time to wake up Jesus. He's never seen a storm like this. Think for just a moment. He's God. He created that storm. It was a part of his lesson plan. Jesus had led them there. He'd gone through the day. He'd been teaching them in the classroom about faith. So that evening he takes them out on the lake in the laboratory of life and he gives them a test. And they get an F, and it's not for faith. It's easy to talk about faith. We talk about it in Sunday school. We sing about it in worship. It's quite another to have faith. We're in a crisis situation in our life. It's easy to tell somebody else. It's not near as easy when it's us. It's amazing to me. It shouldn't be. But when we're in the, at the end of our rope, that's the time we turn to Jesus. We tend to wait till we have nothing else to do but look to Him. Where is Jesus? He's asleep. Now you would think with the hearing the winds blow and hearing those waves hit against the boat, the water coming over, the disciples panicking, that Jesus would be awake. But no, He's sound asleep. This is not a time for peaceful sleep. This is a time for panic. Jesus does not panic. He knows who's in control. He's not concerned about the winds and the waves. After all, he was the one who created them. Now remember this. The storms may shake the ship, but they will never shake up the Savior. The storms may shake the ship of your life, but they will never shake up the Savior. Matthew records their plea, Lord, save us. Mark records their rebuke, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? 
Luke records their expression of frantic terror that gripped these hardened fishermen. Master, Master, we're going to drown. And then Jesus asked them a rather interesting question. He says, why are you so frightened, O men of little faith? And he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And what's so striking about that is, not only did the storm stop, but so did the waves. You know, waves usually just keep going for a little while. But no, they were gone. But while the waves had stopped, the disciples were still shaking. The events of our lives sometimes leave us feeling at risk. Whether it be a job situation where we're called upon to take a stand, whether it be a severe illness of a loved one or ourselves, whether it be an unexpected financial tragedy or a breakdown of a relationship, it's the midst of the storm that we tend to doubt God's goodness. We may feel that God has left us to fend for ourselves. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the four spiritual laws. The first one goes like this. God has a wonderful plan for your life. There are times when we doubt the truth of that statement. Take, for example, Corrie ten Boone in a Nazi concentration camp. Her father had been killed. Her sister died due to the appalling conditions, that terrible, inhumane treatment they received. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Joni Erickson, in the summer of 1967, dove into into shallow water in Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck. This young, beautiful, athletic, coordinated young lady at that point became a paraplegic with no feeling or movement below the neck. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I'm sure that both these women faced doubt during those difficult times. But both of those women lived to understand the truth of that statement. Some of you may have read the book, The Hiding Place, or saw the movie several years ago. It's, I haven't seen it shown in a long time. But though she was not a Jew, Corey was driven to a death camp for aiding Jews. She saw people murdered. She watched her sister die. She felt the sting of the whip. She sensed a dissolution of virtue in a world of absolute evil. She asked the hard questions of God. At times, her anger blazes against God. And throughout her story, though, are woven small Accounts of miracles, Bible studies, hymn singing, and accounts of compassion and sacrifice. Throughout all of it, Cora and her sister continue to trust in God who sees and cares for them. Her message, a story of love and forgiveness, is one that's very much available to us today and has literally been heard around the world. Johnny Erickson heard a lot of trite statements by Christians who said, well, just have faith, Joni. One day you'll be better. Through her commitment to Christ, she developed a ministry of art. She painted pictures by holding the brush with her teeth or the pencil. She did some, has done some great art. She's traveled the world speaking on behalf of the disabled. Probably the lone voice out there in the Christian world talking about what we need to do to reach the disabled. Now, I'm sure she would not have chosen that for herself. And during the storm, I'm sure she could not see what God was doing. 
You've heard of the four spiritual laws. I want to share with you the four spiritual flaws, okay? Four spiritual flaws. Number one, because you're a Christian, all your problems will be solved. (laughs) No, if you're a Christian, Satan's going to attack you even harder. Number two, all of your problems you ever have will be addressed in the Bible. Not directly. Number three, if you're having problems, you are unspiritual. Try that one on for size. Being exposed to sound Bible teaching automatically solves your problems. I don't think so. As we look at our text today, let me simply say this. When faced with overwhelming storms of life, we need to have a deep and abiding faith. We need to have a faith, first of all, in His presence. In spite of the storm, He is there. Too often we're not aware of the fact that God is watching us. We feel like He's asleep at the wheel, that He doesn't care for us anymore. But just because you don't see God doesn't mean God is not there. I like the words of C.S. Lewis. Now, he wrote a couple of books. He wrote several books, as a matter of fact. He wrote one on the problem of pain. It's written for the mind. Uh, I started it four times. I'll be honest with you, I never got through it. He wrote another book entitled Grief Observed. And this was the story of his own emotions after he lost his wife. And in the book of Grief Observed, he says, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, if you turn to Him with praise, He will welcome you with open arms. But go to Him when your need is so desperate, when all your help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. Maybe you can identify with those sentiments. Sometimes that's exactly what it feels like. Now, C.S. Lewis knew that wasn't true. He knew that simply because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. You remember the story of the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were thrown in the fiery furnace? They said, our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. You remember the story. They did not turn back. God, the, the, the king had them thrown in the fire. He was seven times hotter than before. It was so hot that even the guards who threw them in were killed. And then later the king looked in and he says, didn't you throw three in? I see four walking around. You see, God may let you go through the fire, but God will go through it with you. He will always be there for you. God is saying, even when you can't see me, I am there. A father in the Bahamas cried the same plea to his young son who was trapped in a burning house. The two-story structure was engulfed in flames and the family, the father, the mother, and several children had found their way out. But the smallest boy was terrified and he ran upstairs. And the father outside shouted to him, Jump, son, jump. I'll catch you. And the boy cried, But daddy, I can't see you. And the father says, I know, but I can see you. And there's times you may be saying, God, I can't see you. But the Heavenly Father is shouting back, But I see you. He is there for us, even when we're unaware of His presence. A similar example of faith was found on the wall in a concentration camp after World War II. A prisoner had carved these words, I believe in the sun, even when it doesn't shine. I believe in love, 
even when it's not shown. I believe in God, even when He does not speak. Try to imagine for a moment the person that wrote that. That skeletal hand that gripped a piece of broken glass or rock. Going to a place that was much like hell itself still chose to trust in God. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Have faith in His presence because in spite of the storm, He is there. Secondly, have faith in His power. In spite of the storm, He's in control. The prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 32:17. We used to have a praise chorus that took these words just word for word from the King James. Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power and Thy outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Jeremiah 32:27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? God asks you to fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Is there anything too hard for Him? I don't know about your situation. You remember Mary? The angel told her she's going to have a baby and her question is, well, how's that going to be possible? And the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus later said, what, things are, what is impossible with men is possible with God. A little chorus we used to sing years ago when I was young. Got any rivers you cannot... You think are uncrossable, got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things that no one else can do. So just think for a moment. Think about that impossible thing in your life and turn it over to God. He's a specialist. Remember, your storms are not a problem for God, He is in control. Instead of carrying things around saying, I can't handle it, just simply bring it to God and say, I can't handle it, but I know you can. We also need to have faith in His promise. In spite of the storms, He will never leave us. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 13 that says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Now, if you look at that carefully, you see it's in quotes. It's quoted, I think, three or four times throughout Scripture. Throughout the entire Bible, God lets us know over and over again, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think of the promise that God gave the Apostle Paul. You remember he had a thorn in the flesh. We do not know exactly what that was. He asked God to remove it. But God did not. But God gave him this promise. My grace is sufficient for you. And that promise is true for you today, too. God's grace is sufficient for you. We also need to have power in His person. In spite of the storm, Jesus is our Savior. He's our only hope. Now Luke wants us to show us how Jesus revealed Himself. That Jesus revealed Himself not just as a great teacher and not simply as a miracle worker, but the person who was in control of the complete universe. So when you and I have a problem, we need to take it to God. 
and say, God, I can't handle this. But I know you can. You're in control. Too often we try to do it for ourselves and we mess it up. I have this watch. It was given to me three years ago by the guys that I used to officiate football with. Some have been with me 10, 12 years. And when I retired, they gave me this watch. It's engraven on the back. It's a nice watch. Now, I've seen the inside of it. They took the back off of it and put a new battery in it. But let's say it quits running and I decide I'm going to try to fix it. Now, you can just about guess how it's going to look like if I try to work on it. So I work on it and I have all these pieces. And I bring it to Jewel and I said, Sir, here's my watch. It's broken. Can you fix it? And what's he going to say? He's going to say, couldn't you brought it to me before you worked on it? That's the way it is with our lives. Too often we do it ourselves. We mess it up. And after we get it all messed up, we come to God and say, God, can you fix it? We could have saved him a lot of trouble. We could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache if we had just given it to him to start with. Horatio Spafford was born in 1828. He became a lawyer. He was very successful. He bought a lot of real estate in Chicago. In 1861, he married a lovely lady named Anna. They had four daughters. In 1873 came the Chicago Fire. Wiped out much of the land that he owned or holdings that he had. Two years later came the financial crisis. He was invited by Dwight Isle Moody to go to England. And just as they got ready to get on the ship, him and his wife and his four daughters, there came a message that there was something business he needed to attend to. So he hurried back to attend it, but he let his wife and his daughters go to England. On the way, there was a shipwreck. They found his wife on a piece of wreckage, unconscious. She was rescued. The four daughters drowned. When she got to England, she cabled back, telegrammed back, saved alone. Later, he went to England, and as he passed that place where the ship had gone down, the captain said, this is approximately the place. And Spafford wrote these words, words that should speak to your heart. I'm sure you've heard them before, but let them speak to you today. Our Father, we pray that it truly might be well with our soul, regardless what storms of life may hit us, regardless what troubles come our way. May we trust you completely and totally. May we know that you are there for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. At this time, the praise team is going to come and lead us in a song. Elders, the prayer team is going to be scattered throughout the sanctuary. If you need somebody to pray for you, take this opportunity and let them do that.